in-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome into another edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Hi, I'm Chris Mack. He's Josh Taylor. Greg Finley making sure to keep us somewhat on track as we preview Steelers, Browns, coming up on Monday night at Heinz Field. A huge game. Absolutely enormous for the Steelers because uh, do you want to lose your first game at home on a Monday night in what would be, I think, at least 20 years, not longer? No. Do you want to do it to a division rival? No. Do you want to be two games back in the division? 20, that same 22 division to be exact. There you go. 22 years. Nope. Uh, do you oh. want to be looking up at the standings? 32 years. I'm sorry. 1991. Not. Oh, my God. Wow, 32 1991, years. 32 years. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're old. Dude, we're, we're, old. <laughs> we're old. We're old. Regardless of whether you remember that Monday night loss in 1991 or not, uh, we are here to help you get ready for this Monday night. I actually night. do. I'm oh, no. Sad. Who was it to? Do you remember? The Giants. Giants. It was the Giants in 1991. Oh, man. Yeah, it was the Giants. My dad got tickets to that game, and he took my brother, and I wasn't allowed to go, and I was mad for days because I was a big Lawrence <laughs> Taylor fan, and I did not get to go to that game, and I was very upset. I was like nine yeah. years old. I'll never forget it. I never that's, get a day no, I, So mad. If I Still mad to this day. I'd be mad about that too. Yeah, yeah, you should hold that grudge. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so you don't want to lose on Monday night at home to the Browns is the point, uh, which leads us into how they avoid no, yeah, doing so that. Building the Game Plan, brought to you by your sponsor here. Perhaps you're a home improvement company or a contractor or anything that likes to build stuff. You don't even have to like build stuff. You could like to tear stuff down. It doesn't matter. You could just want to sponsor the podcast because you appreciate your friends, Chris and Josh. By all means, do so right here inside your Odyssey app or 937thefan.com. In all seriousness, I think my first question for this one, Josh, is... Do they find their personality on offense? Defense will get to, and the questions of who covers for Cam Hayward with him out for an extended period of time. And have we learned anything about those three spots we talked about in particular going into week one, nickel corner, strong safety, and inside linebacker? That we can get to. Let's keep it on the offensive side of the ball for just a couple of minutes. Are they going to find that personality, that character, that identity that I think they wanted to lay out going into the season, which was... We will lean on our running backs, not to the extent that we'll be afraid to throw the ball, not to the extent that we're three yards in a cloud of dust, but that we can control the game with our running backs because we've got a a physical offensive line who wants to get out and punch people in the mouth and then maybe use a little play action, keep defenses off balance, take some shots downfield, or do they end up getting behind again? Do they end up chasing points? Do they end up getting away from the things that can work for this offense and did work for this offense in the preseason and down the stretch in the final nine games last year? Those are all great questions, and they might be loaded. It's for me, honestly, if you want to figure out if this game will go any differently, go back and look at the first series of the game against San Francisco. Now, I now when we did our post-game episode, I got this series confused. I confused the first series of the game with the third series of the game. The third series of the game was where Deontay Johnson fell and the interception happened. The first series mm-hmm. of the game was when they could not get the run game going, and then Kenny Pickett eventually got sacked. That was when it became a problem. But 
Let's go back to that very first handoff to Najee Harris. And matter of fact, you have Fred Warner talking about it in his own podcast about how he made that play and what he saw and how he went after and made that play. And you look at the tape of it, you go, oh, yeah, that was Fred Warner doing Fred Warner things. But the more important thing was Fred Warner's job became that much easier because two guys in particular, maybe even three if you want to count James Daniels, Mason Cole, Isaac Samuel, and James Daniels all got beaten up front. So it allowed Fred Warner to run free and take Najee Harris out and stop that play. If they're going to do anything, those three guys, Seomalu, Cole, Daniels, they have to be sharp from the word go. Because if they are not, and this run game cannot go, cannot get going, we're going to see a repeat of what we saw last week. It's yeah. going to be the same thing all over again. It, it doesn't have to, like you said, it doesn't have to be three yards in a cloud of dust. They don't have to bring out two tight ends and a fullback. But whatever you got to do with the run game, it's got to start with the guys up front, and they have to look more like they did in August than they did in early September, or we're going to see some issues here. And, and that goes for whether they in a short, they're in short yardage or on first and second down and, and, and medium distance. It, it becomes so important with this game. It becomes so important with what this quarterback now has on his plate because he no longer has his best route runner, as we've talked about. No Deontay Johnson for almost a month and a half. So the passing game is going to be affected. And the only way you can help your pass game is you have to solidify your run game and make it a component that sets up the pass. You got to start yeah. running the ball and, and get that outside zone working because the outside zone was not working. They couldn't even run split zone duo without yeah. things falling apart. And that's one of the easier inside zone runs there is. And if you can't get those going in a zone scheme, then play action is useless and all of it becomes a bigger problem trying to get downfield and make plays. So, yeah, it, for me, it starts with the interior line. Yeah, and, and I think they've got an opportunity against the interior of the Browns' defensive line. Jordan Elliott, Dalvin Tomlinson, those are guys they can run on if the, the three you pointed out, say Amalu Cole and Daniels, all show up and are given a chance, I think, to get off the ball and get physical early on. Like, I don't need – and this is, again, everybody's – assumes you're going to be, make it all about Matt Canada. I'm not making it all about Matt Canada, but I don't need jet sweeps and misdirection on the first series. All I need on the first series is to punch some dudes in the mouth. I said that last week, they didn't do it. I'd like to see him recommit to that this week. I help put Connor Hayward in the backfield. As and if they back. do the rest of it works. Yes. If you get physical right off the start, then you've got an opportunity. I don't think you can get very physical on the edges against Darius Smith and Miles Garrett. Those two are going to be a problem, both in the run game mm-hmm. and the pass game. But you've got an opportunity with their interior D-line and their linebackers, I think, for that matter, to do some things in the run game inside for both of these guys, whether it's Harris or Warren, to take the ball. It, you don't even, don't, I don't even need a simple trap inside. I don't need any games on the line. Fire off the ball, punch some guys in the mouth, Let's get three, three and a half, four yards, and let's flip the script over to the next play where we've got second and six. Give me second and six, second and seven. I'll be okay because then I can I can get a quick hitter on the outside maybe, and I can pick up another four yards. And before you know it, I've got third and two, third and three, and the entire menu is open and available to me. And I think if you get your tight ends involved in this thing, you've got an opportunity. Again, whether it's, like I mentioned, Hayward lining up as a, as a fullback, Hell, why not? You got them on the roster, use them. Whether it's Darnell Washington and some of the two tight end sets that I've talked about ad nauseum the first couple of weeks here. 
get your big guys out there and let them start punching the Browns interior line and next level guys, linebackers uh, in the mouth. I think you got an opportunity to perhaps find that identity and be able to stick with it moving forward. But you're right. Off of that builds everything else. Now we can build some play action into things. Maybe now perhaps they're going to put that extra guy in the box and something's open on the back end. You're not able to double team George Pickens 90% of the time, because that's the other thing. They're going to have to scheme some guys open through the air, Josh. And I still don't trust Matt Canada to do that. And moreover, I'm worried about Kenny Pickett making the throws, even if guys do get schemed open, because he wasn't able to do it in week one. You're not going to be able to get George Pickens open as much as you would hope, or certainly as much as he's been open in the past, because he is going to be getting bracketed. He is going to be getting double teamed, because everybody knows that's where they want to feed the football. So in that case, on the occasions that he does come loose or does have a little bit of room, let's throw the man open. Let's scheme him open. Let's do everything we can to get him the ball because we're not going to have many opportunities to send the ball in his direction. Yeah, if, if there's if there's a criticism that you levy, or at least that I levy against Matt Canada that actually holds weight, that actually is a, a good faith argument, is that Matt Canada's pass game is very heavily reliant upon establishing the run game. And that becomes a very big weakness if the run game can't get going. And if it sounds like I'm a broken record, then I'm a broken record because some things are just what they are. And you have to look at them for the reality that they possess. With that said, I am in complete agreement with you. This is the game where you say, okay, you know what? We got to get the tight ends involved. And, And if you have not seen a reason to do it from last week's tape, just go look at one particular play. Go look at what Darnell Washington did to Nick Bosa. That one play where he just flattened him on his back, and then look at Nick Bosa's reaction. You want to talk about taming a tiger? That's the closest you're going to get to. So that's the reason. And you talked about having Zadarius Smith and Miles Garrett on those edges. All right. Well, have Darnell Washington seal off one of them. If, we're, if we talk about the preseason and how much stock we put in the preseason, I didn't put as much stock into the passing game side of things. But the one thing I did enjoy seeing was this offensive line moving guys out of the way and clearing out sides for the run game. If there's a time where you need to do it, this is it. Get Darnell Washington to one side of the field, have him clear somebody out. And whether it's Jalen Warren or Najee Harris, I don't care. I think I said, I think I tweeted this last year in the first meeting in Cleveland on a Thursday night. I had three words, run the ball. I didn't care who it was. I didn't care which direction it was. I didn't care how you did it. But you got to try to do what this defense is never tasked with having to defend because they're so they're so programmed on the offensive side of things, of grinding teams down with their own run game and making it a ball control game, that their defense doesn't have to worry as much about it. Well, now you got to force them to worry about it. Now you got to force the issue by getting the guys on the field that can move bodies out the way and then clearing out space for your running backs to run through it. The other thing I would like to see them do, and we saw this last season out of the bye week, they came out against New Orleans and did this. And when it happened, I was like, I almost cried. I was so happy. They got Najee Harris going out of the pistol because it was the easy way, fire off the ball, give him one lane to decide. He makes one cut and he goes. We talked about this too. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, they find their lane, they cut, they go, and they're good. They did that last year against New Orleans where they were giving Najee looks out of the pistol where he was going north, south, 
He didn't ha- even have to make a cut. All he had to do was just go in that lane that was open. If you can do that, just find ways to get cracks in this defense to let these guys exploit them, I think you see better results. Yeah, because t- to your point, we may sound like broken records, but it's because there's a very clear and obvious way this organization has built their roster and decided to shape their offense. And it is around controlling the game with the run so that they're not asking their quarterback to do too much. And that when they do ask their quarterback to do things, it's with the foundation of the run game around him. So to that end, that's fully what we think should happen on Monday night. We'll see if it plays out that way. On the other side of the ball, on defense, as far as building the game plan goes, you know, we talked about this a little bit the other day. I think you have to consider the fact that the Browns are going to do everything they can to take T.J. Watt out of the mix. They may not be successful in that regard, but they're going to do everything they can to limit him. They're going to, I would think, again, this is just my opinion, Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt have screwed this up before. I would (laughs) think they would rely on Nick Chubb, you know, and keeping things simple and counting on Deshaun Watson to be able to make big plays, much like this, I just described with the Steelers and Pickett, when they ask him to, with the foundation of a run game laid so that it's not, you know, staring down double coverages on the outside every time or a cover four. They're going to they're gonna put Deshaun Watson in the best possible position to make plays based on the run game. With that being said, if I'm the Steelers, I've, I've got to figure out how to get something better out of my secondary. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick, I love him to death. He is a ball hawk and I think can it, – it, is not just considered the best safety in the league because he comes up with a big play every once in a while. It's because more often than not, he's in position at least to make a big play. I didn't even see him in those positions against San Francisco, Josh. I don't know what happened to Minka in week one, but it wasn't good enough in my opinion. The other safeties, KZ and Neal, frequently out of position. I thought Richard Sherman did a great breakdown of the first touchdown pass, the one where Patrick Peterson slipped to Brandon Ayuk um, on social media. If you go back and find it, Sherman basically said, what is that safety doing? And if you look at the formation and the routes that were run, there's no reason for KZ to bite up on the route. On He's, he's got the middle of the field. He's got to keep the middle of the field. He's got to remain in the center. And instead, he sees Debo come across his face and flash that way, and he goes that way. It's the bright, shiny object. Debo Samuel, yep. I get it, but you got to remain solid in where you're supposed to be. If he stays where he's supposed to be in the middle of the field – Ayuk isn't open, even with Peterson slipping. So I've got to see better out of the other safeties and KZ and Neal. And I've got to stop seeing inside linebackers chasing slot receivers in coverage. It's been happening since I was in co- since I was in high school, <laughs> since I was in elementary school. That's not the video lagging. That's me trying to remember just how long it's been since I've seen outside of Ryan Shazier a Steelers inside linebacker actually be able to run and cover a slot receiver or a tight end. Um, it, it, they've got to figure out how, how to do that. They just have to, maybe it's putting a nickel corner of all things on a tight end. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's actually playing the right corners. And here's my final beef with this defense that needs to get fixed before Monday night. I understand you need corners that can tackle. I totally get it. Joey Porter jr. Is probably not there yet in his tackling. I know he had issues with it at Penn State. I know he had issues with it in the preseason and at training camp. But here's the deal. Joey Porter Jr. is just more physical than Levi Wallace. 
And I need corners who are going to make it difficult to get off the ball for their receivers and their tight ends. I would have no problem at all putting Joey Porter Jr. on a slot receiver or even a tight end like an Njoku and saying, Joey, I don't care if you get flagged the first time or the first two times. Get in that guy's face and get up in his mug and make it the most unpleasant experience he's had in his career to simply get off the line of scrimmage. And we'll worry about the run game after that. Just make these guys uncomfortable. I've got to see more from the nickel, the slot corner positions. And if that means sliding Pat Pete inside, if that means starting Joey Porter Jr. over Levi Wallace and sliding Wallace inside, I don't know what the configuration looks like, Josh, but it's got to be better in the secondary. And the inside linebackers have to be put in a better position to not have to chase things all over the field. There may be a guy that solves both of your problems, and it may not be Joey Porter Jr. It may be Desmond Cade. He may be the guy. And this was this was the thing that bothered me. The, the, the lack of usage of Joey Porter Jr. at the time did bother me. But then mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin explained it later. We wanted to ease him in and use him in dime-specific situations. And they didn't have to use a lot of dime after maybe the yeah. first quarter. It just wasn't necessary. Now, I understood that, that part of it. But the thing I noticed also, hey, we're not seeing a lot of Desmond King. And then you remember, well, he just got there. Maybe he hasn't figured everything out yet. You, you wonder if they're trying to slowly ease him in. But here's why Desmond King is important. And I think it solves both the problems that you're talking about. I think it solves the problem that you're talking about where maybe you have a guy that could be more involved in the run game because Desmond King can do that. You're talking about a guy who can cover tight ends because Desmond King can do that. He can make some coverage plays against receivers because, once again, Desmond King can do that. He did that in college at Iowa. He's done it in the, 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 the different opportunities he's had in his pro career at different stops that he's had. He can defend inside the slot. He can take on the tight end, and he can defend against the run. He did those things at Iowa, and he says he prides himself on being able to do whatever they tell him to do. That's why a guy like him is so important. And, and it also maybe gives you more options that you take off of Minka Fitzpatrick's plate. I think one of the reasons why we didn't see as much of Minka, because as much as we esteem Kyle Shanahan to be this offensive genius, we really think that staying away from Minka Fitzpatrick wasn't going to be in his game plan. Of course it was. Of course he was going to say, oh, Minka's here? Fine, we're going this way. Because if you had to choose between wherever Minka Fitzpatrick is or wherever DeMonte KZ or Keanu Neal or insert defensive back not named Minka is here on the other side of the field, I'm going to the other side of the field every yeah. day of the week and every time, every chance I get on Sunday, just like San Francisco did. But here's where having a Desmond King is important. Because if you can put Desmond King in the slot, if you can put him in the box, if you can put him off the line of scrimmage and all those other places where Minka Fitzpatrick was lined up last week, if that's now Desmond King's responsibility, guess where Minka Fitzpatrick is? He's back at free safety more often. He's getting more snaps in the back half of the defense where he's needed more often to be more effective. And maybe he's the guy in the middle of the field, not making the mistakes that DeMonte KZ did. Maybe DeMonte KZ is now in another place where he can't be exploited as much because now you got the most dangerous guy playing the middle of the field where he should be. So all of that comes back around to where you have the right personnel on the field. And yes, having... Uh, having Desmond King on one side of a formation and, and maybe Joey Porter Jr. on the other side of the slot, maybe that makes that part easier as far as having those pieces in place because now maybe you get more out of Minka 
maybe you get more out of your corners and maybe those outside guys aren't having as big, uh, having as hard of a time trying to make adjustments because you have people better utilizing the spots where they can actually thrive and succeed. Before we wrap up building the game plan, I, I, I want to ask you this. What's your level of confidence in the replacements for Cam Hayward? Because I feel pretty good about Keanu Benton. Um, my questions about Montrevious Adams are many, uh, and they are not pretty. Uh, and my questions about Isaiah Loudermilk are even more so and even less pretty. Um, I, and then you've got Ogan Joby, who is very effective when he's in there. I mean, when he's healthy. Yeah, top 10%, I think, in week one of interior D linemen, according to PFF. But uh, he, he doesn't get a ton of snaps, even when he's healthy. You know, how long is he going to stay healthy? Um, they're in a tough spot because they're going to need multiple interior defensive linemen on the field, even in a lot of third down situations. And it's not like they can go to some wide dime with three linebackers and like it's they're going to be in a tough spot and and I do not feel very good beyond Keanu Benton about this defensive line's ability to stand up to the test of Nick Chubb. Yeah, I, I'm I feel the same way. I I feel like Keanu Benton he's going to have a baptism by fire. It's going to be it, it's it feels like it has to be a sink or swim week for him. He sounds like a guy, based on what he's talked about in the locker room this week, he sounds like he's up for the challenge. I think he's had that on his plate at Wisconsin, and this is something that the coaches talked about. Hey, we, we keep bringing in guys from Wisconsin because they're used to doing the jobs that we want them to do in our defense because those two schemes kind of mirror each other with what Jim Leonard did with the Badgers and what, what the Steelers do now as far as their defensive front. So I do feel confident about that, but I'm with you. What are you going to get out of Larry Ogunjobi? How much are they going to use him? How much of an impact can he have? And has Isaiah Loudermilk made that kind of leap that we've hoped that we've hoped he's made? Because I will come back to one particular play. I want to say it was against Tampa. I know you can't take too much stock in the preseason. Sure. But this is something where they did the job they were supposed to do, where it was a fourth and one. I want to say it was against Tampa. Fourth and one. They try to run it. And who was in the backfield but Benton and Loudermilk? The two guys that you needed to penetrate and make a play, and they stopped that fourth and one running opportunity. So if you have those guys out there together, can you see recreations of that? You'd like to hope you can. And if that's what you're looking at, then fine. But it will take those guys up front. I, I'm still wondering when the Braden Fajoko signing is going to be. When, when's that going to be a thing? Because yeah. that's basically why you have a guy like that on your roster. He is there. We joked about it with Mark Cavalli, but that's the case with Brayden Fajoko. He is there to eat space, eat yes. bodies, or both. That is uh -huh. his job. And you, you're going to have to have a guy that can do that too. Because if you have guys like Ogunjobi and Benton who can fire off one block or get in the gap and make a tackle, you might need a guy that can eat up some space to make that possible. So, yeah, that configuration is going to be just as important in the run game, just like that configuration of DBs, DBs we're talking about is going to be important in the passing game. So all of this, and it's going to sound super redundant because we talk about it with the offense, but for me, it's going to be just important for them to establish themselves up front on defense as it will be to establish themselves up front on offense. All right, let's make a pick here. The time has come, Josh. Um, I, I unfortunately don't feel great about this one because of my questions regarding the offense. I think – even though we just got done talking about how I don't necessarily trust anybody other than Benton to step up in Hayward's absence. I think they've got enough talent on the defensive side of the ball, high-end talent 
and TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick and even Alex Highsmith's case, Pat Pete, um, that they can scheme around it a bit. And I probably trust Terrell Austin to scheme around things a bit more than I trust Matt Canada to scheme around things. So um, I don't think they'll get absolutely dominated by Nick Chubb, but I think Chubb's going to be able to do just enough and the Browns going to be able to do just enough to maintain time of possession, probably take an early lead, force the Steelers into doing some things they don't want to do. Uh, and I do question the Steelers' offense more than any other aspect of this game uh, with Deontay Johnson out and George Pickens seeing double coverage the majority of the time. So I don't know how often they're going to get in the end zone. I probably only have them get yeah. in the end zone once again this week. So Cleveland 20, Steelers 16. The snapping wow. of the Monday night home winning streak ends. Uh, or the snapping uh, happens, and they're 0-2 to start the year, I think. There's only one way I think the Steelers can win this game. It's got to get ugly. You mm. you got to go Bubba, Star- Bubba Sparks. You know, <laughs> you got to go Bubba Sparks. It's going to get ugly. It, it's it's it, You got to win an ugly game. You got to drag Cleveland down into the dirt. You got to get them in the mud. And you got to sling some in their eye. You gotta, you gotta establish yourself up front. You gotta get that run game going. You gotta limit Cleveland's run game, and you gotta force Deshaun Watson to make some mistakes. And Kenny Pickett has to make fewer. And I think, I think all of those things can happen. And once again, I'm going to say this again. And if, if for no other reason, it's because it's going to be a much easier time doing it against this defense than it was last week against San Francisco's. I, I, I don't care what you tell me as to who you had lined up. I'm going to say this again. This was the best defense in the land last week, and they proved it. It was one of the best offenses in the land last week, and they proved it. And I don't think you're going to see this good of opposition this week. That doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be easier across the board, but it might not be as hard to get into what you want to get into, to get into your game plan, to use the run game, to have more opportunities to get the personnel on the field that you want to to make it harder in the passing game and make things more difficult for uh, Deshaun Watson. And he is susceptible to making mistakes. We know that based on 2016 because Pitt went into Death Valley and forced him to make some mistakes with a really bad red zone turnover. So mm-hmm. if you keep all those things in mind, oh, yeah, that was Matt Canada offense that won that game too, by the way. Oh, that's right. Hey, Pitt fans, have you oh. said thank you today? Never mind. I'm not controlling it. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna behave myself. But it is worth mentioning that Deshaun Watson is a quarterback that can be beaten if you put him in certain circumstances. And I think the defense, considering the fact that they won't have short fields to defend and huge leads to try to defend, might be in better position to do that. At least I'm hoping that's not the case the second week in a row. So I, right. I will say the Steelers won an ugly game, but it's going to be in the the less than 20 point category. The team that cracks 20 might be the more, more fortunate one in this game. It's going to be really, really gross. Much like week one was a race to 20. I think you're right. I think week two is a race to 20 as well. We will be here post game following the end of Steelers Browns on Monday night, late Monday night. Well, it'll be Tuesday morning by then we will have a post game breakdown up for you at 937thefan.com, inside your Odyssey app, on our YouTube page as well, and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. So be sure that you are subscribed and following. Download it, listen, or watch, again, on YouTube. And uh, by all means, feedback welcome as well. The, uh, the chat, the comments section on the last post-game video was rich with opinions, and we look forward to more 
Monday morning. Opinions right in here. the comments, Chris? <laughs> and what? we'll look forward to more on Monday morning right here on 4th Down in Steel City.